The last several weeks, we've talked about how to possess your mountain. One of the things that I mentioned just Sunday before last was the need to identify strategies to help you possess your mountain, specific strategies unique to what God has called you to do and the dream you possess. I can think of no more important strategy than to pray, literally. So let's turn to the word of God and read an incredible story about the power of prayer. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, and what was known as the Italian regiment. A little background on this. Cornelius was a Gentile. Palestine and Israel had been occupied for, oh, 167, uh, well, but Jesus is almost, Jesus has already been crucified. So now, well in excess of 200 years, Palestine has been occupied by the Romans. They are not believers. This man somehow has come in contact with Jehovah God, being in the Holy Land, and being a man of spiritual sensitivity. He has embraced Jehovah, and I want you to notice what happens. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would reveal to us the extraordinary power of prayer. Open your word to our understanding and teach us that we have access to resources, strength, grace far beyond what we will ever find in this world. And it's waiting and all we have to do is ask for it. Teach us the principles that guide us in prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said amen. Amen. I want to speak this morning, as I've already stated, on the power of prayer to change your season. Change your season. Prayer is one of the most powerful forces in the world. It unleashes the power of God. It makes possible what has heretofore been impossible. Prayer has the power to cause a nation that is in trouble to be restored and to become vibrant and whole again. As Billy Graham wisely stated, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. Prayer has the power to revive those who are weak in spirit and make them strong as lions. If you're discouraged and struggling to keep a positive outlook on life because of what you face, pray. I challenge you. It will lift your spirits and strengthen your heart. I can guarantee that it will because I've been there. I've been in challenging places. Or if you are having problems breaking through into your destiny, and I've been there too. Or if you're facing an attack against the things that matter most to you, that are dearest to your heart, and they're under siege by the enemy, and I've been to both those places as well. Prayer can cause the enemy to be routed and to flee. It will cause the door of your destiny to spring wide open. 16th century clergyman George Herbert said, prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of night. 
If you want to open up your future, use prayer as the key of the day. If you want to close the door in the face of the enemy that's trying to steal what matters to you, pray. Because prayer will do what God, will cause God to do what attorneys, bankers, counselors, doctors, pastors, a church, family, prayer will cause God to do what none of those things can do. As gospel great Mahalia Jackson said, faith and prayer are the vitamins of the soul. Men cannot live in health without them. Prayer is also an acknowledgement of our trust in God and our gratitude to him for all that he has done. Someone one time said, don't forget to pray because God didn't forget to wake you up this morning. Hear what I'm talking about. Not only did he wake you up, he woke you up in your right mind. Can I hear somebody say hallelujah? Unfortunately, many believers' eyes glaze over when you talk about prayer. They simply do not realize how powerful it is because they have not experienced the power of it. To them, it is a drudgery. It is a task. It is something you enter into, and they dread doing so because it does not have vibrancy, and that is not the way prayer is supposed to be. It is actually very powerful. I want to tell you a true story. Anybody in this building know where Mount Vernon, Texas is? Mount, okay, I see some hands raised. It's a town in northeast Texas. And let me tell you what happened. There's a bar there called Drummond's. And it began construction on an expansion of their building, hoping to grow their business. In response, the local Southern Baptist Church started a campaign to block the bar from expanding. And they started sending out petitions and having prayer meetings and so forth. About one week before the bar's grand opening, a bolt of lightning struck Drummond's bar and burned it to the ground. And afterward, the church folk were rather smug, bragging about the power of prayer. We prayed, bolt of lightning, burnt that building down, struck it and destroyed it. Amen. The angry bar owner sued the church. I'm not making this up. True story. On grounds that the church was ultimately responsible for the demise of their building. Of course, the church vehemently denied all responsibility or any connection to the loss of the building. It went to court. The judge carefully read through the plaintiff's complaint and the defendant's response. He then opened the hearing by saying, I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the papers that have been filed that we have a bore owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation who does not. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and that's pretty much the way it is, isn't it? Amen. People in the church today do not know the vibrancy of prayer. When we pray as children of God, we are not praying to a distant and uncaring deity. We're actually talking to our heavenly father. Jesus said, when you pray, pray after this manner, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I love the fact that in this story, God demonstrates that he knows each one of us by name. Look at Acts 10 and 3. One day about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. That's Cornelius. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. He didn't say, hey, you, whatever your name is. 
He said, Cornelius, he knew him by name. God knows you by name. God knows the hairs on your head and has them numbered. That's not as much a task for some folks as it is for others, but God knows how many hairs you have on your head. Amen. He knows when every sparrow lights on the ground. Oh, I wish I could hear an amen. And people think begging prayer is begging God. Wheedling some crust of bread from him to sustain our existence. For this to be true, and it isn't true, but it would mean that God is either unaware of our need or even worse, unconcerned about what we are facing. This understanding of prayer perpetrated by the enemy is both unbiblical and even anti-biblical. It denies the extraordinary love that God has for each one of us. A love so great that he gave his only begotten son to redeem us. It also denies his omniscience. God knows everything you're going to go through before you ever go through it. Amen. He not only knows what you're, where you're at right now, he knew it before you were born that you would walk through this. Oh, bless his name. Yet the enemy wants us to believe this, that God is distant and remote and unconcerned and unsympathetic. And to think that if we, we beseech God long enough, and if we're desperate enough, maybe, just maybe, he might hear us. And if he's in the right mood, he might might grant our request that is not prayer that is not who our heavenly father is our loving God knew exactly what resources you would need to fulfill the destiny he created you to achieve and to accomplish the purpose for which you were born before he ever made you hear what I'm saying and you every obstacle you would face what you'd need to get through it, every challenge, every temptation, every struggle you would ever go through. And he provided all you would ever need in advance. I need somebody to say in advance. Come on, let me hear you. In, not after the fact, not, hey God, let me tug on your coattail. This is what I need. Oh, I didn't know that. Let me see if I can fix it for you. No, in advance, before you ever got there, he knew what you would need. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, past tense, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Did you hear that? He's already blessed us. In the Greek where it says there, that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. The word blessing means each, every, any, all, whole, everyone, all things, everything, everything you would ever need, nothing accepted. He's already blessed us. You need to high five somebody and say, I'm already blessed. Would you do that right now? You say, but I didn't know it. It doesn't matter. You're already blessed. Everything you will ever need to fulfill your destiny, God has already prepared beforehand. It has already been provided. But notice where they are. Look at that verse again. In the heavenly places. You say, but yeah, that's spiritual blessings. Let me explain what that means. When Christ came to redeem us, he came to transform us into the sons and daughters of God. We have been sent into this world to be living representatives of Christ. 
Ambassadors, Paul called us. Whenever you get blessed, the neighbors are looking at you and saying, that's a mighty God they serve. When you get healed, the neighbors are looking at you saying, that's a mighty God they serve. Hello, somebody, when your marriage is broken, gets fixed. The neighbors are saying, that's a mighty God they serve. All of these blessings have spiritual components. And notice where they're at. They're in the heavenly places. All right, everything you will ever need to fulfill your destiny is already there. But you've got to pull them down. And you've got to understand this. Do this with me. Just reach up and do this. That's what prayer is. Prayer is pulling down into this dimension what the Father has already released in that dimension. Prayer is causing to be manifest in this realm what has already been agreed upon by heaven. You don't have to change God's mind. You don't have to beg God. It's already there. All you got to do is reach up in prayer and pull it down. Somebody in the building shout hallelujah. In prayer we cause those things released in the heavenly dimension to be manifested in this present realm of time. And these bring up some interesting points from this passage in the book of Acts chapter 10, I want to make a few observations. Number one, even though you have a promise from God, we must understand that God gives you that promise to inform you as to how you should pray. When God shows you a vision of your future, gives you a promise, that's so you can pray about that thing. Many people make the mistake of sitting back and say, well, I got a word from God. You know, I I felt God speak to me and I'm waiting for it. That's the worst thing you can ever do. Amen. Now, this is an incredible story. And it reveals to us that what you do is when you pray, you enter into a divine partnership with God. Paul called us 1 Corinthians 3 and 9. We are God's fellow laborers. Say that I am laboring with God. Would you do that? I am working with God. Why didn't God just cause it to be released here? He released it in the heavenly so you as his representative and co-laborer can bring it into this dimension. We are co-laborers with God to bring his vision for this world and even our own lives into this present realm. Oh, somebody ought to give him some praise here. I'll give you an example of that. God told Elijah that he would shut up heaven for three years and it would not rain, not even so much as dew on the ground. And he said, at the end of three years, it's going to rain again. I want you to notice what happened after the three years was over. Elijah didn't sit back and say, okay, God, three years have passed. Anytime now would be good for me. No. What Elijah did is he got down, put his head between his knees and got into the birthing position you got to birth what God is speaking in your life in prayer. Hello, somebody. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about when I say you got to push. you got to get a hold of God. Hello, somebody. Don't you let the devil steal your kids. God has a promise for them. God has a future for them. God has a future for your marriage. Yes, he does. You can't let the enemy have it. 
And Elijah sent the young servant to the top of the hill and said, do you see anything? And he went once and didn't see anything. But you know what he did? He got back in the birthing position again. And he prayed again. And he sent him the next time. And he prayed again because there was nothing. Sent him the third time. And the fourth. And the fifth. When do you stop? You stop when it manifests. That's when you stop. Because on the seventh time, a cloud about the size of a man's hand appeared. Elijah got up and said, there it is. I got my cloud. I've got a word for somebody. There's a cloud forming in your life right now. Give God some praise. Give him a praise break. Somebody, you're praying a cloud into existence. It's about to rain in your life. Miracles are getting ready to happen. Breakthroughs are coming. Yes, they are. I feel the Holy Ghost working in this room right now. Forgive me. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I bless your name. I bless your name. I bless your name. Somebody in this room is praying for a daughter. A daughter that's been on drugs and you're scared to death about her future. But you're praying and do you know what's happening right now? A cloud is forming. It's getting ready to rain. That's what's getting ready to happen. The spell of Jezebel and Ahab is about to be broken. The spell of a false and idolatry is about to be snatched away. You know what Elijah did when it rained? He took his sword and killed the prophets of Baal. There's a revival coming to somebody's family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He slew the prophets of Baal and went into the birthing position and prayed until it rained. That's what you got to do. You're a partner with God. God had already spoken, it, but he had to pray it. What has God spoken in your life that you need to be praying over? It informs your prayer when you get a word from God. In this incredible story in Acts chapter 10, we need to remember that Cornelius was a Gentile. As this text has already pointed out, he was not Jewish. That might not mean so much to you until you dig a little deeper. Because in the Old Testament era, God had been committed to the Jewish nation. Jewish people. He raised up a Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, for three reasons. Number one, to preserve the integrity of the message. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and that he is Jehovah. Secondly, he raised up the nation of Israel to model his holy nature. That's where there were, why there were all these laws in the Old Testament. And these laws demonstrated our God is not like their God. Our God obeys certain things that are covenantal. And his heart is holy. He's holy from circumference to core, from center to circumference. He is holy. We still observe the Ten Commandments. You don't have to worry about the 613 other dietary laws and so forth that couldn't carry anything heavier than a dried fig on the Sabbath. But what that demonstrated is you have to have space in your life for God. You got to have something you let God have in your life. You got to, you got to surrender some time. You got to surrender, uh, you know, some of even, if, if I can say this, even your freedom to God that you can gain greater freedom. I wish somebody in the building that understood what I'm saying would say amen. 
There's some things you don't do, not because you, you can't get by with it. Of course you can get by with it. Have you ever just laid something down as a sacrifice to God and said, God, I love you so much. This, this doesn't mean anything to me anymore. And that sounds crazy to some people, but if you ever come to know him, oh my Lord, have mercy. Amen. To gain him is worth everything. The third reason he raised up Israel was for them to be the vehicle through which the God, uh, through which God could give the world the Messiah. It was God's intention that through the revelation of Jesus to the world though, that what started with this tiny nation would spread to the entire world and they would all know him. Many verses in both the Old and New Testament speaking of this and it was promised. I want you to say that. It was promised. Say it. It. Look at Paul in Romans 9. 23, 24, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared, everybody say beforehand. Oh, you got to see that. It's already done. It's already prepared. Your future is already prepared. Your destiny is already prepared. Your ministry is already prepared. Your family is already prepared. Hello, somebody. Your breakthrough, your business, what God plans to do in your life, he has already prepared beforehand before glory that will bring him glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Woo! You see... If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. There were only in God's mind two categories of people. And now he is moving from his core group that he's modeled these three things that I've identified to the rest of the world. Amen. Now I want to make some points from this. When you look at Acts chapter 10, point number two, prayer works when you work prayer. Say it with me. Prayer works when you work prayer. If you want prayer to work, you got to pray. Acts 10, 2, Cornelius prayed to God regularly. When you pray regularly, you will see God's power regularly. And God will act in unusual ways in your life on a regular basis. If you pray regularly, one day your answer will come. I said it will come. Cornelius prayed and God sent an angel. God's going to send somebody a visitation if you will just keep on praying. There's no respect to a person. Number three, prayer causes ordinary appointments and even no appointments to turn into divine appointments. Oh, Lord have mercy. You need a breakthrough. You need an appointment. You need the right connection. You can't get it. You don't have an appointment or you got an ordinary appointment. When you pray, God can turn that ordinary appointment or even no appointment into a divine appointment. I mentioned here a couple of Sundays ago, the reason we're engaged in Tanzania with all these Bible schools, 3,280 students have now graduated, is because a doctor from this church and I were in India, sat down on an Indian airliner. We were Caucasians, and there was 1.5 billion people in the country. Every other person on the airline was Asian Indian. We sat down, a man walked on board, sat right beside us, and he asked, what are you guys doing here in India? Told him we're 
going to preach a, a, a meeting and, and train some pastors and leaders in one of their states. And, and he looked at me and he burst out in a smile and introduced himself. Come to find out, he is the Asian Billy Graham. He has preached to more people than Billy Graham has. He was sitting right beside me on the airplane. He said, why don't you come to Africa next week? I've got a conference, next month I've got a conference and I've got a, a crusade I'm doing there. The doctor and I both went. We preached to over 700,000 people. Amen. And the pastors and Christian leaders came after the conference and crusade and said, Dr. Hurd, can you come back and can you establish a Bible school so we can raise up ministers? The reason this church is engaged in what it's doing is because God turned no appointment into a divine appointment. You don't know what's getting ready to happen in your life. I want to speak today by the power of God. Appointments are being released in this house right now. You're going to walk into the middle of a miracle. Somebody say it. I'm getting ready to walk into the middle of a miracle. Yes, you are. Cornelius didn't have an appointment with Peter, and Peter didn't have one with with Cornelius. Amen. God set it up. (laughs) I love that. God set it up. Look at your neighbor and say, God's setting some stuff up for you right now. Would you do that? God had promised the Gentiles would be saved. And yet after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, 10 years went by and nothing happened. The door still closed. Why? Even Peter had said the promises to you and to your children, to all them that are far off. Why is it still closed? Look what happens. Whenever he began to pray... God began to move. Whenever Cornelius began to pray, God began to move. And God set up a divine appointment for the two of them that opened up a new era of growth and evangelism in the church. That era still continues today. And revival comes as we see from this text when we pray. Breakthroughs come. Doors that have been sealed open. Hello, somebody. Doors that have been barricaded for centuries and millennials fly open when you pray. When you're on your knees, you touch God and God moves him through the power of his Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So Cornelius and Peter prayed. And this reminds me again that we're God's partners in fulfilling the promises of his word because he had already spoken that and released it into the heavenlies that Gentiles would be saved. Yet, nothing had happened until Peter prayed. He was fasting and got hungry. He was living in Kronos time. He was waiting for them to fix a meal. And you know what he decided? I'm going to go up on the housetop and pray. Meanwhile, Cornelius had been praying and fasting in a city some distance away. And while Cornelius is praying, an angel shows up. Amen. While Peter is praying, God speaks. Peter and lets down a sheet from heaven in a vision. You remember the story well. That's an altogether different message. But here is my point. They were both in Kronos time until they prayed. Kronos is a Greek word that describes the passage of linear or ordinary time. It's the passing of seconds and minutes and, and it's the passing of hours and the passing of days and weeks and months and years and so forth. It is still a very common part of our vocabulary. You might not realize it, but the word Kronos is used by many of us on a regular basis. 
for the words chronometer, the word chronograph, the word chronology, the word chronological, all are derived from that word chronos. And they're used to describe the ways in which we measure linear time. That is, it's one minute, another minute, another, and that's how we measure time, generally speaking. But the Greeks also had another word for time that I will show you. But to show you how the first one is used, look at Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time, Kronos, had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. When the fullness of time, in other words, when it walked out the calendar days and the minutes on the clock and it struck the alarm, in heaven, God sent forth his son. There was a set time. Somebody shout hallelujah. But kairos is a different word. That's the second word the Greeks use. It means a propitious, critical, and life-changing moment. The New Testament is primarily written in Greek, and that's why those two words are, are important, because you can read that and not realize that the word time in both places are actually talking about two different things. And so here's the truth, and you need to know this. You already do. I'm quite certain. Every one of us will only have a few kairos moments in the course of our life that are literally life-changing. They're so compelling. When God will up in and turn everything over and everything shifts, not just for a season, but permanently. One of my favorite quotations from Shakespeare goes like this. There is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. Omitted all the voyage of their lives is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea are we now afloat and we must take the current where it serves or lose our ventures. What he's saying is when the moment comes, carpe diem, you better grab it. When Jesus walks by, little lady, with the issue of blood, you better get a hold of a handful of his garment. Bartimaeus, when Jesus comes down the road, you better be crying, Jesus, thou son of David. It's a Kairos moment. Literally, this is what is so significant about those passages. Peter is in Kronos time until he prays. And the moment he prays, he steps into Kairos time. When you pray, you change Kronos time to Kairos time. You change ordinary time to a God set up appointment. Hello. Ah, you're reaching up, pulling some stuff down. You're bringing into this dimension what God has spoken over your life. Hello, somebody. You're not twisting God's arm. You're manifesting what has already been prepared beforehand. Somebody shout hallelujah. A biblical example is found in Ephesians 1 and 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, Kairos. He, God, might gather together in one all things in Christ which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Did you see that? In the fullness of times, Kairos. In other words, when somebody caused a Kairos moment, prayed until Kronos time became Kairos. That's why they waited 10 years. Nobody had yet prayed. And God had not yet been touched on behalf of the Gentiles. But there was a man named Cornelius who got a hold of God. 
He was an Italian, didn't have anything to do with the faith. That blesses me so much because it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter how sullied your past may be, how stained, how mourned, how far you may be from God. You may be here today and say, I don't know anything about this, but I feel something. God's calling you. He's had his hand on your life, your entire existence. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Like I said earlier, he knows you by name. Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat and began to pray. And the moment he did, he stepped out of Kairos, or Kronos time into Kairos time as his meal was being prepared. And it became an explosive and life-changing God moment that altered history for the Gentiles, for me, for you. God literally blew the door of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles right off its hinges for good. I'm talking to somebody. God will blow the door right off the wall that's standing between you and your miracle. If you will pray, he will dynamite the door and make a way where there is no way. Do you hear what I'm saying? He specializes in that. He can make a way where there is no way. You can walk through the Red Sea dry shod. He'll make Jordan's river stand up and let him overflow their banks. God will make a way for you that is against nature, against the circumstances, against any possibility that you could have thought of. Hello, somebody. Someone in this house is about to step into Cairo's time. Yes, they are. Somebody. God changed their season. Yes, he did. You say, I didn't know God changed seasons. He does. Daniel 2, 20 through 21. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He changes the times and the seasons. Oh, I know that he's got plans for your life. And if you sit around long enough, your time will come. Question is, are you going to be at the airport when you're supposed to be at the dock? Hello, somebody. Will you even be home when your season comes? Your set time? Or will God have to show up like Amazon and leave a package on the front steps? Hear what I'm saying right now? You don't want to wait for that. You don't have to wait for your season. You can touch God and God will change your season. He changes times and seasons. Somebody in this building is saying, well, I'm going to get my miracle someday. Why not today? Why not right now? I'm going to have a breakthrough someday. Why not this very day? My marriage is going to get together someday. Why not right now? I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to serve God. Why not today? Why not today? This is so compelling. Did you know the Aramaic word for prayer? I didn't even tell them this in the first service. The Aramaic word for prayer is to set a trap. Did you know the New Testament was not just written in Greek, but some parts of it are Aramaic? The Aramaic word for prayer is set a trap. You can trap your destiny. Your destiny can be walking down the road saying, well, I don't have to show up for 10 years. You can set a trap for that fellow. Hello, somebody. You can have him right now. You can have your marriage right now. You can have your breakthrough. If you'll get a hold of God, things can happen. Not, God not only changed the season for the Gentiles and I'm done. He literally changed their era as well. I'm a few minutes over. Forgive me. An era, era differs from a season. Seasons, we have four of those in the course of a year. Well, they do in many places in the U.S. We have two down here. Hot and hotter, right? 
but the rest of the nation has four seasons. Amen. Seasons come, seasons go. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't want to change my season. Would you do that? I want to change my era. Eras last for generations. In fact, the word is used in the Bible, but it's always used as a root word. Look at this, generation or generations. You can cause a change that doesn't just come and go. It comes and stays through your life, through the life of your kids, through the life of your grandchildren. You can alter the future for generations to come. I release that over this congregation right now. We have moved into a new era. Number four. Prayer is not limited by the space and time dimension. And what do I mean by that? When you pray, your prayers, they become a living force that doesn't die when you die. Revelation 8 and 4, the smoke of incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. You see, some of you are saved not because you were so good and deserving, but because mama wouldn't let go of God praying for you. Hello, somebody. Daddy wouldn't stop praying for you. Hello, grandma wouldn't stop praying for you. They've been going to their reward for years, but their prayers are still working in heaven. And you can't get away, don't even try. They set a trap for you. Hello, somebody. They pray, they set a trap for you. You can set a trap for your kids. Yes, you can pray. You can set a trap for your husband. Not only are prayers not limited by time, they're not limited by space. Cornelius was in Caesarea. Peter was in Joppa. That's 35 and a half miles distance. That's how far they are from one another. It takes a good two and even three days of walking to get there, which is how most people got around then. Amen. And God bypassed time and space. What am I saying? I'm talking to somebody. You could have a son in Los Angeles, California. And you can pray right here, and the God that is everywhere, who is omnipresent, can touch them in California while you're praying in Houston, Texas. You can have a daughter in Dallas, hello somebody. You can have a son down in Mexico, hello. You can have somebody living in Cuba or New York, or hello somebody. You can have a a, a loved one that's in Chicago, Illinois. When you pray here, God moves there. Look at your neighbor and say, when you pray here, God moves there, would you do it? And now I'm done. Just how powerful is prayer? Prayer is prophecy. If you pray according to God's word, you are literally praying his will for your life. When you do, you're prophesying your own future because you're praying the will of God, which he's already spoken over you. Prayer is so powerful. The old timers used to talk about praying through over something. Anybody ever hear that term? Got to pray through about that. Come on, let me see your hand if you've ever heard. Oh, numbers of you have. Some of you that are newer, you hadn't heard that. We need to use that, that phrase once in a while. My grandma told me, I see Sam Wilkins here. His dad was my pastor for a time. His grandpa's, we drove by the little church yesterday, Sam in Lake Charles where I was raised and my grandmother was one of those old prayer warriors. You know what she taught me? She taught me, boy, you don't just pray, you pray through until you touch God. Because when you touch God, then you can thank him and you can get up and go on your way rejoicing because you know you have what you have petitioned of him. Whenever you pray, hello, pray through about it. Pray through about it. Pray until you touch God. Stand with me. Stand with me. 
The name Cornelius is Latin. Did you know that the word Cornelius means horn? It is originally derived from a German word that means a little seed. It's also the prefix and the word cornucopia, which is, means a horn of plenty. You've seen those at harvest time, the cornucopia filled with the fruits of the field, overflowing, the horn of plenty, cornucopia. That's what Cornelius' name literally means. It was the seed that grew into an abundant harvest. Your prayer can grow into an abundant harvest. His did, and it's still affecting the world right now. The prayer he prayed that got God's attention is why you and I as Gentiles are still able to be in the house of God.